0: Welcome to OneChurch.tv. That short video, in a lot of ways, describes many of our lives, doesn't it? For those who... Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe your first Bible was one of those small, pocket-sized New Testaments with the Psalms and Proverbs, right? And you got that. And it seems like when you were a kid, you always went to church because your parents drug you to church, right? And you showed up, and you were at the Sunday school classes, and you heard the stories of David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den and Jonah in the whale, and they just enthralled you. And And then it seems like the older you got the less you kind of went to church, or maybe the less you read God's word, and it just now, looking over your life, you seem like you've drifted. Drifted from what you said you believed, drifted from what your values were, and that drift, in a lot of ways, came because maybe you went to a college, you went to a university, And somebody told you who was smarter than you are, who had more degrees than you did, and they said the Bible was wrong. And there was all kinds of contradictions, and science has proven the Bible and creation and God and all of that stuff to be bunk. In fact, in the bumper that we played even before this, you heard a person say, you know, it was written hundreds of years after and all that stuff. And when I hear people like that, I usually get pretty frustrated because I always know that they don't know what they're talking about. Because where we're going to tackle today is this big question, is the Bible reliable? And I'm going to really be up in your grill today uh, because uh, I am pretty passionate about what I'm talking about. So if I come across as pretty intense, uh, it's because I am. Because I believe that this question, is the Bible reliable, in a lot of ways haunts the reason why many of us don't go to church, or maybe we don't read our Bible, or the reason why we drifted from faith. Now before we get too intense, I want to lighten it up a little bit, and we're going to play a game. How of y'all want to play a game this morning? The game is called, Is It Reliable? All right, and this is how it's going to go. I'm going to show us a video, and uh, basically what we're going to do is we're going to stop the video, and something's going to happen, and we want to ask, is this thing that you're going to be happening, is it reliable? I'm going to go and tell you, the first one is two people are going to be swinging on a rope swing into a creek. Let's roll that beautiful bean footage. Let's go. All right, so question, is this reliable? Yes, let me hear you. Okay, how many of y'all say no? Let's see. Nope. At least they landed in an inch worth of water. That's going to be painful. All right, this next one. How many of y'all, you like uh, ordering stuff from QVC? All right, all right, here we go. Let's see if this Boxing's is reliable. Face, okay, these are steel hinges. Yeah. Perfectly. Steel. Safe. And you can walk up. Yes, you can. Yes, you can walk up. So here's the question is, is it reliable? How many of y'all say yes? How many of y'all say no? All right, I think y'all are getting the... All right, let's see what happens. And you will see... Oh, there we go. That I feel... <laughs> What he feels is emasculated. <laughs> Was it reliable? No. All right, what, this next one is one of my favorite ones, all right? So Now, you need to know <laughs> that if you're going to do this, it's probably not going to go well for you, all right? This is what happens in this next video. Uh, this lady doesn't have a diving board, so she puts two wooden tables together and uses the tables for a diving board. Let's look at this. All righty. Is this reliable? How many of y'all say yes? Okay, see, y'all are getting, see, y'all are learning. How many of y'all say no? Here we go. (laughs) Yes, sir. You see that laugh? If I was videotaping it, that would be me laughing. (laughs) You see, here's the thing. All of us, we want things to be reliable, don't we? I mean, you you left your house today, got in the vehicle, and you cranked the key, and what did you expect to happen? The engine to start. You see, it's never fun when the engine doesn't start because you have a maybe a, a battery issue, an alternator issue, or maybe you just didn't put gas in it. <clears throat> There's so many on staff I so want to call out right now, but I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. All right, anyway, my point is... We long for things to be, we want our relationships to be reliable, don't we? We want our friendships to be reliable, right? You, I, I mean, you, we want loyal friends. How many of y'all, you want to have a friend that's loyal? Let me see your hands. Here's what I've learned. If you usually want a loyal friend, what do you have to be? There you go. You see, we want our marriages to be reliable. We want our spouses to be reliable, We want our heating and air conditioning units to be reliable in the winter, don't we? Some of y'all, you've heard me gritch that most of our heat has been down all winter. And I really so want to give a great advertisement uh, for a heating and cooling system here in town, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call them out publicly on Facebook Live, but you can see me afterwards. So, see, we long for reliability. And that's a good thing. The thing we're going to be tackling about today is, is the Bible reliable? Can the Bible be trusted? And see, the average person today, if you ask the average person today, hey, would you say, hey, can the Bible be trusted? They would say, nope, absolutely not, because science is proven it wrong. Uh, you can't prove any of that stuff really happened. It's full of contradictions. And we're going to talk about all of that today. Before we dig into that, let me just give you some facts about the Bible. Number one, fact number one: this book, the Bible, is the most, the best-selling book of all time. Like if you go to the New York Times bestseller list, and you're going to see uh, Michelle Obama's. Uh, a book on there. You're going to see maybe a, a Dan Brown book on there. You're going to see other, maybe an Oprah Book Club book on there. But at the bottom in fine print, it says, even though this may be, that one book may be number one, that it does not include Bible sales because this is the most, the best selling book in the world. Here's another fact you may not know that the this book, the Bible, is also the most shoplifted book in the in the in the world. I'll never forget when I was at Dallas Seminary, I used to have an Asuhu Amigo, and it's like a truck with like a cloth top. And I remember after seven or eight times of getting the, the, the top slit and somebody breaking in, I finally got a like a hard top. So I'm thinking, great, nobody's gonna break into it. Somebody busted out my window and stole my Bible. And I'm thinking, you need this more than I do, I think, right? Go to Exodus 20, thou shalt not... There you go. All right, so start there. You might go to hell. I'm just joking. But so, anyway, that's not going to send you to hell. So, just going to send you to the police. All right, and then the last uh, look at the fact number three. In America, 93% of people own a Bible. Did you know that? If you're an average American, over nine tenths of Americans own a Bible, the average of three Bibles per household. Isn't that interesting? of Americans own four more. Now, we want to say this. If you don't own a Bible, we give Bibles away here at OneChurch.tv. As you leave here, make sure to pick one up. We give them to you for free. You can't even pay us for it. Why? Because we want you to read it. We value God's word here. Also, fact number four, Americans are fond of the Bible, but they don't actually read it. Mm, That's a huge one. Americans believe that the Bible is a viable source of wisdom, Excuse me, but we just don't read it. Why don't we read it? Look at this. Here's a graph from Lifeway, and it simply says this. Over half of the people in America have never read the Bible. And some of you, you're here today, you would say, yes, the Bible is full of contradictions, the Bible this, the Bible that, but you've never ever read it for yourself, and my challenge, and I'm going to give this challenge at the end of the message today, but I'm going to give it to you now. Start reading it. Start reading it. Don't just parrot what your professor said when you were a, a, a freshman in college. Read it for yourself, all right? Even though we have a Bible, we don't read it. And honestly, again, our struggle is maybe you went to college, you hung out with some people, and you got around some people, and they said, you know what? It's full of holes, it contradicts itself, it's not reliable, it's not trustworthy, and my challenge is, most of us, we just, we, it's, it's like we say the things everybody else is saying, but we've not researched it ourselves. So before we dig into this, I want to just give you a couple of characteristics of the Bible. Number one, characteristic number one, did you know that the Bible isn't a book? The Bible is a collection of 66 different books. And a lot of times I'll hear someone say, "Well, the Bible isn't true." And I want to say that's not even an educated statement. What part of the sixty-six Bibles are you saying isn't true? Are you saying the Gospels that's written about Jesus isn't true? Are you talking about the historical documents, First and Second Samuel? They're not true. Maybe you're talking about the poems. Are, are, are they not true? But just say it's not true, that's not even an educated statement. Let me give you another characteristic, number two, of the Bible. The Bible was written by over 40 different authors over a 1,500-year time period, and it was written in three different languages, Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and Greek. And it was written in three di- on three different continents. So when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about multifaceted, 66 books, Forty authors over a fifteen hundred year time span, but this last one I really, really want to focus on. Number three, that the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Now, this may be news to some of you, because maybe you grew up, you grew up going to, to church, you grew up, you know, you know, reading the Bible. But here's what you need to understand. The foundation of our faith isn't a book. The foundation of our faith is we believe that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And and, and the reason why I believe the Bible to be true isn't because of anything but that Jesus Christ believed it to be true. And you know what? I'm just going to follow the person. If you can die and predict your own death and then come back to life, I'm going with that guy right i'm totally going with that guy but for the rest of our time today i am going to talk about evidence so that we can look at god's word to see is it trustworthy is it true is it reliable and i think we can put god's word this to a test now before we do this i want to give you our big idea this is our target this is where we're going today and it's simply this that the bible can be shown To be a reliable document, everybody say reliable, accurately recorded, everybody say accurately, and transmitted through, what's that next word? History. See, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm going to prove to you today. Today, I want to present some evidence so that you can see and understand that the Bible is reliable because you and I, we can put the Bible to the test. So I want to give it three specific tests to see if this book passes. These books pass. The first one is the internal test. The second is is the external test. And the third is the duplication slash historical criticism test. And I'm going to explain all of what that is, but we're going to dive right in. The internal test. The internal test Says and asks this question: Do the writers of this these books claim that their writings are true? You see, how many of y'all you've ever read J.K. Rowling, maybe a Harry Potter novel? Let me see your hands. Okay, I, I love Harry Potter. Right, the the movies are eh, the books are so much better. Right, I always say the book is so much better than the movie, and it really is. So, but as we dig into the books of Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling has never ever said this is true it, because it's a, it's a work of what fiction. You see, now when we go to God's Word, when we go to the Bible, we have to ask: Is this something that they just made up? Is that what they're saying, or do they say, "You know, I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I experienced it." Which one was that? And let's see what they say. First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter one sixteen says this. We did not follow what? Cleverly what? Invented what? Stories. So this isn't something that we just made up when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were, let's all say it together, eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I, we saw it with our own eyes, right? Or if you're Mike Wazowski, you saw it with your own eye, Right? So, see, some of y'all that laughed, you have kids. The rest of you, you're clueless, all right? They were there. Peter says, you know, when Jesus was walking on the water, I saw him walk on the water. In fact, I'll give you even one above that. I actually got out of the boat. I walked on water, too, before I started sucking water. I went under. When Peter's saying, listen, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread and two fish, I was there. I helped break up the bread. I remember passing out bread in the fish head. I remember that. You see, Peter and the people who wrote this said, we saw it all. Let's keep on going. A few verses later, he says this, no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own what? Understanding or from human initiative. What he's saying is, we just didn't make this stuff up. It didn't come from our heads. No, those prophets were, look at this, moved by the Holy Spirit, moved by God. And they spoke, what? From God. God used regular, messed up people to receive and record a message with no mess ups. I love that. He used a bunch of fishermen who probably cussed like sailors because they were sailors. Exactly right. He used... Uh, 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 some he used people who uh, actually took uh, people's money. I mean, they were tax collectors, right? I mean, he used regular messed up people to receive his message with no mess ups. Look at what Second Timothy three sixteen says: God has breathed what life into some scripture. Is that what it says? God has breathed life into all scripture. Another translation says it this way All scripture is what? God breathed. The Bible says of itself that all scripture, everybody say all scripture, all scripture is God breathed. And it goes back to what God did in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God spoke it into existence. He spoke, and the stars became. He spoke, and and water was created from nothing, ex nihilo. He spoke, God breathed. I love that. Now, we're asking, is the Bible reliable? But the next verse says what it's reliable for. Keep on reading. God has breathed life into all the scriptures. It is what? We got, it's an all skate this morning. It is what? Useful for teaching what is what? True. It is what? useful for correcting our mistakes. It is what? Useful for making our lives whole again. And guess what? It is useful for training us to do what is right. What do you think he's trying to say? That God's word is useful. Exactly right. It's useful. By using scripture, I love that it's even there. By using scripture, the servant of God can be completely prepared to do every good thing. I love that. That's so cool. It's saying God's word is useful and useful to teaching us what is true and not what we use true today in our postmodern sense where it's your truth and I have my truth and she has her truth and they're all contradictory. No, that's not logical. There is one truth and everything else is error. You see, that's not very popular today, but imagine if you did that, you went to the doctor. You know what? Okay, I have cancer, but you know what? Just give me what your truth says. And then go to another one. You just give me what, well, I have rat poison. I think that'll cure your cancer. Well, guess what? It will. It will also kill you, right? So it's not just your truth or my truth. No, there is truth. I like this last part, though, for training us to do what is right. That word training is where we get our word coach from. How many of y'all, you grew up and you had a good coach in your life? Maybe it was a coach of basketball or volleyball or track or football coach, right? And they not only helped you train to do your sport well, but they helped you train to do life well. That's what God's word does. God's word will give you everything you need to do everything God has called you to do. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and what? I love this about this book that I can read Hebrews 4.12 one day and I can read Hebrews 4.12 the next day and I can get something else out of it because it's not dead, it's living and powerful. Let me give you a couple more verses and we're going to move on. You see, Jesus, he was crucified in 30 AD and then he gets put in a, a, uh, he was buried, he gets put in this rolling stone tomb and then three days later he rises again. And I want you to read what Paul has to say as he writes one of his letters to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he says about the scripture. He says this, I have passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. By the way, what is most important? I love that. What's most important? That Christ died for our sins just as the what? Scripture said. Paul is saying, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the scriptures, those four accounts of Jesus' life, we can trust those. Um, look at the next verse. He was buried, and look at this. He was raised from the dead on the third day. What? Just as the scriptures said. There it is again. Next verse. He was seen by Peter, and then the 12, and then after that, he was seen by more than, how many? 500 Of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. What Paul, when he's writing this, he says, Listen, y'all, this wasn't just seen by one person and you had to take his word for it. It wasn't even seen by 12 people and you just had to take 12 people's word for it. No. Jesus was seen by over 500 people at one time. And what Paul is saying, guess what? They're still around. You can still talk to him. Some of y'all know Frank. You opened up his own barbecue place, right? Frank, this Jewish guy, and he only sold chicken. And then once he came to know Jesus Christ, he started selling pork, right? And he loves Jesus, and we love his pork barbecue sandwiches. Y'all remember Frank? Go, Go to Frank's barbecue stand. Ask him. He'll say, I saw him. I love that. It's like Paul was challenging them. Yes, you can prove this. So the internal test, the Bible passes with flying colors. Now, some of you, if you're skeptical, and I get it, you're like, of course the Bible's going to say it's true, right? Of course it's going to say that. But what do people outside the Bible say? And that's the next one. That's the external test. The external test. What does outside evidence say about the Bible? Now, We have non-biblical writings and we have archaeology, and I want to talk first about the non-biblical writings. First of all, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the historicity of Jesus Christ is well-established. You can read all sorts of non-biblical writings about Jesus. You can read Roman writers, you can read Greek writers, you can read Jewish writers, And they all affirmed that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. Did you know that? A first century Roman historian, not a Christian, not a believer, named Tacitus, he spoke about Jesus. First century Jewish historian, not a believer, not a Christian, named Josephus, wrote not only about Jesus, but Jesus' stepbrother, James, and also wrote about John the Baptist and all sorts of other leaders that we read about in the New Testament. So there's a lot of non-biblical writings to affirm that Jesus actually existed and that he lived. But this next part is where I'm going to spend the majority of my time on, and this is on archaeology. Archaeology. Now, what is archaeology? Archaeology is the study of stuff that you dig up, right? Now, some of you are like, we've got historical writings that affirm so much of what happened in the Bible. what What about archaeology? Well, for years... Many Bible critics discredited the Bible because there was no archaeological evidence ever that David ever existed. You know, the David and Goliath, King David. We had no archaeological evidence back in the early 1900s that David even existed. Not only that, we had no archaeological evidence that Pontius Pilate, some of you know who Pontius Pilate is, he's the person who actually condemned Jesus to die. He was a Roman. And we had no extra biblical evidence that Pilate ever existed. And all the critics were like, see, you can't trust this. You can't trust this Bible. Come on. Let me tell you, archaeology over the past 100 years has given us a treasure trove, a whole plethora of different things about the Bible. Let's dig into it. All right, the first one. <laughs> I love this stuff. All right, this, this picture right here is what we call the Dan Stele. The Dan Stele was found in northern Israel in the city of Dan, and this is was the very first archaeological evidence that David existed. The, on the this, on this stone tablet, we see the House of David insignia, and this was found in 1993. And all the critics of the Bible that David never existed, when we found this, they were like, oh, okay, I guess maybe he did, right? Let me go to the next one. This next one, this is an inscription. This is called the Pilate inscription. And this has Pilate's name on it. This was discovered in 1961 at Caesarea, this, this town by the sea. I've been there. I've seen this. And what's so amazing, this is the first extra-biblical evidence, archaeological evidence, that Pilate actually existed who crucified Jesus Christ. That's cool, but it's not as cool as I'm ready to show you. Get this next one. This ring right here that's going to be behind me, this was discovered two months ago. Two months ago. And on this ring, experts in Israel have identified this ring that may have belonged to Pontius Pilate, Because the ring, the insignia on there, it says Pontius Pilate. It was found at the Herodium. And if some of you, if you were here during our Christmas message, I showed you a picture of the Herodium. Remember that mountain that Herod created? It was found there two months ago. And what's so cool about this, yes, it has Pilate's name on it. It probably wasn't Pilate's ring because it's not very ornate. It was probably worn by one of Pilate's servants And how they signed their name. is basically they had clay, and they would put the ring in there, and it created a seal. But this was found just two months ago. Let me show you another one. This was found a year ago, February 2018. This is a seal that has Isaiah, that this is a scroll of Isaiah. And let me kind of explain what this is. You see, Isaiah, he wrote a book. Anybody know the name of the book? Isaiah! You guys are awesome. All right, so he wrote this letter on the scroll name Isaiah. And we have copies of it today, but we don't have the originals. Well, in 586 BC, we had Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, Ceres, Contacted me, um, so uh, we had Nebuchadnezzar come and burn down Jerusalem, and many of those scrolls uh, were burnt up. Well, this is a a call we call it a bula, but it's a seal that was pushed in by Isaiah's ring, and it has its a. This is the scroll of Isaiah. It's basically his signature. This was found February of 2018, just ten feet away from another seal of having king hezekiah's name on it and remember this was clay but when it got burned what happens to clay it hardens let me show you another one this this next one's amazing okay this one is a uh, it says jeremiah and baruch on it let's go to that next slide there it is right there now some of you how many of y'all ever heard of the book jeremiah let me see your hands all right. The book Jeremiah, this is kind of cool. Let me read to you from Jeremiah 36. So Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch actually wrote them down on the scroll. Now what you see in front of you, it says the Baruch, Baruch, the scribe of Jeremiah on there. So this is actually Baruch and Jeremiah's seal of the scroll. And guess what's on the top left? A fingerprint. We actually have a fingerprint of either Baruch or Jeremiah, the guy who wrote it. Isn't that cool? Man, that's amazing. I mean, we actually have this evidence. Let me show you another one. This is a, uh, y'all heard of Peter? This is Peter's house at Capernaum. I've been there, I've seen this. There was a church over it at one time, but Peter's house at Capernaum was found. This is where Jesus's ministry, kind of the center of it was in Capernaum. And Peter, of course, he was a fisherman right on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. When the four guys bring their friend in and open up the roof and drop them in who couldn't walk, that was at Peter and Peter's mother-in-law's house. I mean, can you imagine somebody breaking open your ceiling? You're like uh, Allstate. Yeah, uh, somebody's somebody's broken into by ceiling, right? you know, it's just crazy. This is where it happened. We found the actual house of Peter, the disciple who wrote First and Second Peter. Oh my gosh! Let me give you another one. This was found in 1980s, and this is a fishing boat from the time of Jesus. Um, there was, it was actually in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee back in the 80s when the lake got really, really, really low and somebody saw some wood sticking out of the mud. So they went and they discovered this first century fishing boat that would have been like one of the boats that Jesus and Peter and James and John and Andrew got in. We don't know if it was the exact one. We don't know that. But it's actually one of the fishing boats from Jesus' time. And I've seen this one with my own eyes as well. Now, let me show you two others before we're done. Now, these other ones, the jury is still out on whether or not it's true or not, um, but they're really, really cool. All right, here's a picture of something we call an ossuary. An ossuary. What is an ossuary? An ossuary is simply a bone box. And let me explain kind of how they did funerals and stuff back then. When somebody died they would actually wrap them up in linens, kind of like a mummy, and they would place them in a rolling stone tomb. There's a picture of a rolling stone tomb. Wait for it. There it is right there. And I actually took this picture, and I'm going to take the next picture as well. If you go into the rolling stone tomb, there are like these little bunk beds there. And if Aunt Aunt Sally died, you would put Aunt Sally in there. And if Uncle Remus died, you'd put Uncle Remus in there. And there, you would close the stone, and for the next year, they would decompose. And once they decomposed, they would then go back into the tomb and go to that very first picture. They would take the bone box, and they would rake the remains into the bone box and then they would put that bone box. And and so it's kind of like what we do with cisterns or, you know, where when somebody gets cremated today, their bones would be in there. Let me tell you what this one says at the end of this. It says this, this was Caiaphas. It says this, uh, the inscription says, Joseph, son of Caiaphas. This was found in 1990. And we found the bones of a 60 year old man in this bone box. Now, Who is Caiaphas? Caiaphas was the high priest who got Jesus crucified. We found his remains. We found the box containing his bones of the person who had Jesus killed. By the way, we ain't never found Jesus' bones. Come on now. You want to know why? Some of you are like, why is that, preacher? Because he is not here, he is risen. Exactly right. So that is Caiaphas. Let me show you another another ossuary we found. This is the ossuary of James. It was found in October 2002. And on the inscription on the front, it says this, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. No bones was found in this one. But the person who wrote the book of James the half-brother of Jesus, we found where his remains were. And this is what Herschel Shanks, the editor of Biblical Archaeology Review, says about this. The James ossuary may be the most important find in the history of the New Testament archaeology. Isn't that cool? Now, let me say this by just bringing, put a bow on all of this. Every archaeological, every archaeological discovery that is, we have discovered, has proven that the Bible is true. Let me say it again. Every archaeological discovery has proven that the Bible is what? True, that it's reliable, that it's trustworthy. Not one archaeological discovery has ever contradicted the Bible. Over and over again, we find archaeological discoveries that affirm the truth of this book. And they're discovering something every year. I mean, I just showed you two months ago, they found Pilate's insignia ring. They're still looking for stuff. I love that. Every archaeological discovery has proven that the Bible is true. Now, let's put this in perspective. Let's look at what the Mormons believe. The Mormons believe that Jesus showed up to American Indians and built all of these cities all over North America. And guess what? We have found zero archaeological evidence that any of that ever existed. Zero. Yet, every archaeological discovery has proven that the Bible is true. Now, let's talk about the third test. Let's talk about this third and last test. This is called the duplication test, or what I like to say as historical criticism. Historical criticism. What is, it, what is it? What does historical criticism mean? Well, it just simply asks this question, are the documents trustworthy? Are the documents trustworthy? And they determine whether or not they're trustworthy based upon two questions. The first one, how many years passed between the original work and the earliest copy and... How many number of manuscripts do we have? So when you think about classical literature, ancient Greek, ancient Roman manuscripts and stories, the originals of those manuscripts, they no longer exist. They've been gone for years and years and years. What you want to look at is the gap. The gap is the span between when the event actually took place and the copies we have today. And if there is a wide gap, then there's a good chance that some things might have been altered. If there's a shorter gap in time, then we can say it's more consistent, it's more trustworthy, it's more reliable and credible. So when we begin to look at the New Testament compared to all of these other text, extra history stuff, you're going to be amazed. Y'all ready to do this? Look at this, here we go. Let's first look at Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad is probably the, uh, when it comes to historians, uh, of all the evidence says it, all this stuff actually happened. In Homer's Iliad, the date written, it was written in, uh, let's wait for it, uh, 800 BC. All right, so 800 years before Christ is when this was written. The earliest manuscripts we have of these date to about 400 B.C., and what that puts us at a time gap of what? 400 years. And by the way, how many copies do we have of Homer's Iliad? We have 643 copies. Now, that's a lot. We're going to see as we kind of go down through here. I mean, it's more than than any of the other ones we have, but look at this. Let's look at Plato's Republic. Plato's Republic, the date written was 400 B.C., and we've heard, by the way, it was written by, anybody want to take a guess? Plato, you're like, doesn't he have a closet? Anyway, Plato's Republic, right? It was written in 400 BC. The earliest copy we have of of Plato's Republic is 900 AD, uh, which now 400 BC to 900 AD, that's a gap of how many years? 1,300 years, 1,300 years. And by the way, how many copies do we have? Seven. That's not many at all, is it? But you know what? Scientists and historians will teach about Plato and will teach about everything that's found in Plato's Republic because they say it's true. It's credible. You can trust it. Let's go to the next one. Aristotle. Aristotle was written by, anybody want to take a guess? (coughs) Aristotle. You guys are good. 300 B.C. The earliest copy we have is actually 1100 A.D., which gives us a time gap of what? 1,400 years. Now, remember, we're wanting short gaps. These are huge gaps, right? I mean, 1,400 years, it could have been altered a lot. But guess what? We only have how many copies of those? Five. Yet guess what? Historians today, well, man, they will teach Aristotle in our schools and in our universities. They will say it is true beyond a shadow of a doubt because we have credible evidence that it exists, all based upon Five manuscripts. Let's look at the next one Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was written about Julius Caesar at about 100 BC. The earliest copies we have of the history of Julius Caesar and his conquest are 900 AD, which gives us how many years? 1,000 year gap. That's a huge gap. And how many copies do we have? 10. Now, this next one you probably never heard of is uh, Thucydides, And he is a guy who wrote about Alexander the Great. He was a general under Alexander the Great, and he wrote about his conquest. This is the only archaeological evidence when it's found in actual documents that we even have that Alexander the Great ever lived. How many of y'all have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Let me see your hands. How many of y'all have seen the movie Alexander the Great? Not a good one. Okay. Um, but see, we, man, you go to school, they're going to teach it. Alexander the Great, he lived, he died. He was a great general, died in 323 BC. Let's look. This is the only evidence we have written evidence that he ever existed. Look at this. It uh, written around 300 BC, 400 BC. Let's go to that next slide, please. 400 BC. The earliest copy we have. Is 900 AD, a 1300 year time gap, and how many copies do we have that Alexander the Great ever existed? Eight. Now, up to this point, historians, man, they'll talk about Plato, they'll talk about Aristotle, Julius Caesar, Roman wars and the conquest, and Alexander the Great, but when they come to the New Testament, they're like, oh, no, can't, it's not reliable. That's what it says. Date written. The New Testament was written anywhere between 50 to 90 A.D., right? The earliest copies we have is 125 A.D., which gives us a time gap of what? 35 to 50 years, not a 1,000 years, not 1,300-year time gap, just 40, 50 years maybe, And do you want to know how many copies we have of the New Testament? Not 643. Nah, that's a lot. 643, that's a lot. Not seven, not five, not 10, not eight, but 24,000 copies of the New Testament. So can we see and understand that this is true? The answer is yes. And if you're here today and you're struggling with faith, I just want to challenge you with something. Call it what it is. I've never met somebody who's an atheist who's, uh, who ever says, you know what, I followed the evidence and the evidence says there is no God and I can't prove the Bible to be true. Because you know what that tells me? They really haven't followed the evidence. Call it what it is. It's not a head issue. It's a hard issue. Maybe you just don't want somebody telling you how to live your life. I get that. I even respect that. I, I I don't like when somebody tells me what to do. Nobody likes that. But don't say it's a head issue by saying you have followed the evidence where it leads because you haven't. As we close, I want to just share with you about two people who actually did. First one is a guy by the name of Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was a 19-year-old on a fast track to become a lawyer, and he decided to not go to college at first. and He was—he's uh, an atheist. He's a skeptic. He decided he was going to tour all of Europe, and he was going to look at those many of those original manuscripts, and he was going to prove that the Bible is false. His intention was to disprove Christianity, specifically to show that the New Testament was historically unreliable. But the more research that Josh McDowell did, the more he realized that this Bible could be trusted. And later, Josh McDowell wrote a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and it's all about that you can trust the Bible to be true. I'd encourage many of you, you need to buy this book. You need to get on Amazon and do that. Or at the bottom of our reading plan on YouVersion today, we have a reading plan by Josh McDowell. But let me give you another one. This is is even newer. This is a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, he was a journalist in Chicago, and uh, he set out to prove that the Bible wasn't true and that God was dead. His wife became a Christian, and that just angered him. So he says, I'm going to prove all of this mess to be false. And that's what he tried to do. And he followed the evidence where it led, and where it led is to him getting baptized and becoming a Christian. So, my challenge for you, and by the way, you can see the movie Case for Christ, and it's all about his life. Here's my challenge follow the evidence where it leads, prove me wrong. Prove that the Bible isn't true. And we'll give you time, but in a few months, let me know. We'll baptize you. We'll do that. We're not going to gloat. We'll just put our arms out and say, welcome to the family. Because all of us, at one time or another, we've been skeptics. And I simply want to say, next week as we end this series, you see the numbers on the screen behind me? We're going to challenge you. If you have a question about faith, we want you to be able to text it in. And Pastor Carlo and I, next week, we're going to we're going to play Stump the Chump. And we're going to answer the questions that you text in. So make sure to come next week so that you can get your questions answered. Let's pray. God, we love you. And I thank you so much, God, that to follow you and to read your word, God, that you read it so that we can understand it. But Lord, you also gave us evidence that it's true. So God, I pray that for us, that you would challenge us. I've challenged people, Lord, for us to read it this week, to dig into it. And Lord, that you would change our hearts. You would change our thoughts. You would change us. And that we would follow the evidence where it leads, not where we want it to go, but actually where it goes. Lord, when we're there at your feet, God, that we would be able to look up and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. I still have questions. I still have doubts. God, I believe in you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.